We began on Mother's Day with uh, Miriam sharing some of her and Sean's story around infertility and family and how the fruit of love was, is a part of that. Uh, then it was time for uh, John and Anita to share about their journey towards P&G and how the fruit of joy is intertwined throughout that journey. And last week, for those of us who are here, you'll remember we got to play with Play-Doh. That was the highlight for, I think, you know what, in talking to people of all ages, that was the highlight for a lot of us. Like it was, I, I almost felt like we should be handing out Play-Doh every Sunday for you in your seats just so you had something to do while we talked. But so, <laughs> so we, we uh, played with Play-Doh and mirrors and we got to see how the fruit of peace um, is uh, relevant in areas of our lives like our wealth and relationships and our identity. And today we come to the fruit of the Spirit called patience. And uh, as some of the adults are still slowly making their way, I would say I'd like to just wait for them, but I'm not a very patient person. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so some of you can, can relate to that. But we must have some people who are patient in this church. Anybody? Who, who of you would consider yourselves patient? Be bold. It's okay. My wife. Oh, what does that say about me? She has learned patience. Sandy, in some ways? In some ways, okay. Depending. Okay. Do we have anybody who doesn't have a depending clause in their patience? Because I'm going to ask all the three of you who are patient to just go outside and wait for 30 minutes while the rest of us talk about this uh, fruit of the Spirit called patience and try to figure this out. Because the reality is that uh, patience is, uh, I think, and we'll come to it in a second, I'm going to read the, the passage. I, I, think it, I think it's in the wrong place in, in the Scriptures. I know we're not supposed to add or move or take away, but you'll see what I'm saying. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to start reading at verse 16, God's word for us today. Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, Paul writing to us, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful natures crave. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Now that verse is there for those three of you who have that depends clause in there. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, friends, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. God's word for us this morning. What stirs in you when you read in verse 22 that the Holy Spirit is attempting or is in the process of um, creating this fruit called patience within you? What stir, like what, what does that conjure up for you? As I thought of that this week for me, I had to admit very quickly that for me the word struggle was the first word that came to mind. I struggle with patience. Now, uh, from my little straw poll, I take solace in the fact that I'm in good company here. Um, but for me, patience and uh, self-control which Mike will be preaching on uh, next week, those two fruits, to, to me, uh, are, as I said earlier, miscast as fruits in the Scripture. To me, fruit is something that is rich and pleasurable and desirable, It's that thing that you wait for at the end of having eaten all the other stuff on your plate that's good for you as a reward for doing that. That's where I throw fruit in. Patience to me should be in the vegetable category. (laughs) Just plain and simple. It's something that I'm told that's good for me. It's something that somebody else usually puts on my plate for me. It's something that I partake of because I'm told it's good for me. And I endure it. And uh, sometimes it tastes good. Sometimes not so good. Uh, Sometimes my wife tries to trick me that it's going to be good. Um, And But that's where patience for me, should fall. So if I were to put patients on a, uh, a food spectrum, and on one end of the spectrum is Brussels sprouts, and one end of the spectrum is mango. And those of you who sat with me last weekend, you know that mango, it was the, f- the fruit in the garden, the perfect fruit. Um, can we have the slide up, Matt? So we're going to have this spectrum And on that spectrum, we're going to place patience. I put little uh, definitions underneath. Let me just quickly read them. Brussels sprouts is a member of the gamifera, sounds kind of like germs, group of cabbages grown for its edible buds. They are a good source of iron, potassium, protein, and fiber. There we go. They look yummy. Mango fruit is a member of the mangifera. Sounds magnificent, doesn't it? Indica, one of the most popular, nutritionally rich, tropical fruits with unique flavor, fragrance, taste, 
and health-promoting qualities. Mm. Patience ends up for me at the Brussels sprouts level. And I think for a lot of us, it ends up at the Brussels sprouts level. But maybe um, that's not the best analogy to use. So I have another analogy. We're going to kill my mic for a second. forgot to roll up my sleeves. <sighs> I've always wanted to wear my jersey at church. <laughs> Maybe we'll have jersey day one day, Brad. Ah, how about this for patience? <laughs> I grew up as a child of South American immigrants. My parents were born in Paraguay, my two older brothers born in Brazil, they immigrated to Canada in 1965 or 6, something like that, I was born in 1967. First one in our family born in Canada. So, being from South America, not me, but the rest of my family, uh, they played one sport. They played the sport. They played the beautiful game. They call it football, we call it soccer. And so growing up, I learned we played soccer. That's, that w that's what we did. Uh, it didn't matter that we lived in Canada. We, the whole world played soccer. So. And then in 1972, I discovered the Canadian game of hockey and the Vancouver Canucks. And I fell in love. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was born here. I don't know. Maybe it was just meant to be. But... I fell in love with this crest and all the players, and I got a chance to, to meet some players once at a boys' brigade thing. And, and I can still vividly remember the first time that my uncle took me to a Canucks game. It was against the Washington Capitals. The Canucks lost two to one. Um, and I have fond, fond memories of growing up watching the Canucks rarely on Saturday night because it was almost always the Leafs or the Canadians. Um, and uh, more often, listening to Jim Robson play-by-play -play on my transistor radio late at night, laying in my bed, long after I was probably supposed to be asleep. And, uh, and I fell in love with, with the Canucks. <sighs> That's like 40, whatever, I don't even know how long ago it is. You can see the look on my face. You know where we are now. But uh, I still wear this. It, it, to me, it really signifies patience well. It's like a real tension for me to sometimes wear this crest. 1982. Anybody here old enough to remember 1982? Towel power, right? And Harold Snepps passing the puck to a wide open Mike Bossy of the New York Islanders right in the slot. I think that's how game two ended. Yes, it was. And we never did win a game in that series. But we made it to the cup. Final. And then it was a long, long time. All the way up to 1994. Now we're getting, most of you remember 1994? 
Pavel Burry, overtime, Calgary Flames, yes, Trevor Linden in game six. You can remember Jim Robson's call. Anybody? What did he say? He'll play. He'll play. He'll play on crutches if he has to, but he'll play in game seven in New York. (sighs) At the end of game seven in New York, there's an image of him down like this. Not like this, holding up the cup. And then in 2011, in 2011, I was convinced that this man was going to bring us to the promised land. I was convinced. It was a tale of two cities, tale of two goalies, and, well, it didn't happen. And so if your primary two images are Brussels sprouts or this crest, when it relates to the word patience, you can see how easily it is to have a rather um, negative, a rather bleak picture when it comes to the word patience. In fact, so much so that I have been known to utter the words, patience sucks. Pardon my language, those of you are a little bit older, excuse me. But uh, we, we can be real here, we're family. Patience simply sucks. And let me give you some other examples. How many of you loved waiting as kids to open up your birthday gifts? How many of you loved waiting for Christmas morning? Waiting. Not the actual part, the waiting. Not many of us. Who loves waiting or loved waiting until they were 16 to get their opportunity to legally drive? Legally. Now today, those of you who have to wait till you're 16, you then have to jump through L and then N. That to me is, I mean, I'm thankful when I look at 16-year-olds, but I'm glad I'm not as, because ah, that patient waiting sucks. What about at work? Some of you have been waiting for recognition at work, waiting for promotion, well-deserved. Who enjoys the waiting part? You enjoy the receiving part. What about waiting to have sex until you're married? Does anybody enjoy that? Like, I know we we promote and we put abstinent... Do we... Sorry, maybe that's just a guy thing. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I've said too much. For Sylvie and I, what about waiting to have kids? Infertility. Miriam and Sean talked about that a couple weeks ago. Every month, are we pregnant? pregnant? No, we're not. Are we pregnant? No, we're not. Okay. And putting our, our lot into the adoption pool and going through this long, arduous process. Are we going to be parents? No, we're not. Waiting, waiting, waiting until you get your son and your daughter. I'll be very honest, it sucked. And yet, God in his infinite wisdom says, Wally, do you want to talk on patience? And he says, there it is in Galatians 5, 22, right in between joy and kindness. Now, who doesn't want more joy or kindness on your plate? Like, we all will, we will gladly take extra helpings of that. But do we really want to have more patience. Who wants an extra serving of patience? 
And yet we're led to believe because it's there in this verse that talks about this fruit that's supposed to be yummy and good and all that stuff. And it's right in between patience and kindness. And we're led to believe that it's not supposed to taste like Brussels sprouts. It's supposed to taste like mango. It's not supposed to look like this. It's supposed to maybe look like the Montreal Canadiens in their heyday. And yet we have to somehow wrestle through that tension. How? How does patience end up tasting like mango? instead of Brussels sprouts. How does an impatient person like me not only wrap my brain around it to the point that I really believe it, but even more so embrace it in my life and live it in a way that I believe and can see that the Spirit is producing patience in me, an impatient, naturally impatient person. At the risk of oversimplification for me, uh, I boiled it down to, well, I didn't. God boiled it down to me, for me, to one question, two parts. We'll bring the slide up for one question, two parts. Matt, bring the slide up. One question, who's in charge and what do you know about the person that's in charge? Who's in charge and what do you know about the person in charge? And here we begin my time of confession. Much of my life can be characterized by the reality that I believe that I'm in charge. Much of my life, if I'm brutally honest, is I want what I want when I want it, and how I want it. I'm not. I'm using me. A good, long, hard look in the mirror this week, um, and it's been, it's not just, hasn't been this week. It's, it's I've looked before. Um, but, it's been rooted in this um, Reality that my practical theology says that I am God, small g. In this whole area of patience. That I'm the one in charge of my life and I'm the one who gets to be in charge of the lives of those who are around me. And I'll go on record saying that the reason I'm an impatient person is simply because of that factor, I am God. Small g. I'm God. If I really, really am bluntly honest with myself and with you guys today, that's the reality. Yes, it comes from my old nature. Yes, it comes from my sinful self. Yes, I often fight it. Uh, as scripture says, wage war against it. But the reason that I am not transformed in that specific area of my life is because in any given situation, I want to be God. And I want to be God over the rest of the people around me and the circumstances. And hey, let's be honest. I, lots of the times I'm right. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't say that to toot my own horn. Like, like, I am a good person. 
I'm not trying to tell you that I'm this evil, crazy, like, I am a good person. I managed to convince Sylvia of that to the point where she was willing to marry me. Um, I, I, I managed to convince the adoption agency twice, uh, you know, and, and two sets of birth parents that I, I'm, I'm a good person, that, like, you might want to entrust your child to me as a dad. Um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm well-educated. I've passed enough tests and, you know, like, I do get it right a lot of the times. But because my starting point is not a conscious submission of my will, this is what it says in Galatians to me. What are the ultimate results? It says verse 19. The results are very clear. This is what's going to happen. Even though I get it right sometimes. Even though I get it right a lot of the times. Eventually, ultimately, the results are very clear. Verse 19. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. So far, I'm doing pretty good. I'll admit freely. Idolatry. I think I do okay on that one. Sorcery, not an issue for me. Hostility, I don't think so. Quarreling, maybe. (laughs) Jealousy, sometimes. Outbursts of anger, Uh uh-oh. Selfish ambition, dissension. Division, enviness, drunkenness. It's an endless list. But I know where mine hit. So I put myself out to you as Exhibit A. And I invite you to freely talk to Sylvia. Uh, you, you can talk to Joel. You can talk to Savannah. And uh, you can ask them. The Holy Spirit has control in a lot of areas of my life, but I am usually not patient in my own household. So let's use that as a very practical example this morning. Lately, Sylvia and I had this discussion the other day. Um, She came to me and she said, hey, I don't know that the uh, kids are feeling all that loved by you. Um, why not? I tell them I love them every day. Um, and uh, and I said to her, yeah, they're driving me nuts. They're just driving me crazy right now. Now, I know none of the rest of you as parents have ever felt that about your kids. But for me in this last season, it seems like they have been making so many choices to not listen to me, to not listen to my correction, to not listen to my directive, to not listen to, you know, that. And I told, I, they're not here. They're upstairs or out there somewhere. But I did tell them that I was going to talk about them, but more about me in relation to them today. Like yesterday, I called Joel down. said, hey, Joel, I need you to come down right now. 
Like the house could have been on fire. He didn't know. I just said right now. He said, yeah, just give me a minute. He always says, just give me a minute. Like no matter what. So, I'm preaching on patience. Oh, I'm going to give him a minute. <laughs> Joel, I need you to come down right now. I need you to bring, in this case, he, had, uh, he needed to bring me something. I need you to bring your meds with you. He had taken them with him upstairs. And I need you to come down right now with them. Okay, Dad, I'm just going to take my meds first. And uh, I think he was, wanted to get changed or something. Patience. Waited. Gave him another minute. And I said, Joel, I need you to bring your meds with you right now and come downstairs now. Dad, just give me a minute. I said, no, I need you to actually come down now. What part are we not getting the message across? Fine. Come down, down. He stomps downstairs. And that has been happening a lot in our household. And maybe it's just because he's 11 going on 12, she's 9 going on 10. Did I get that right? 9 going on 10? <laughs> and, and maybe it's just that we're in that season. I don't know. I'm hoping that, you know, there's going to be a different season where, and, uh, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Anyways. And, it's, and, I've, and I've been pulling my hair out. And I will freely admit that it's resulting in me yelling at them. I need you to come down now. And not with a smile on my face. When I'm in charge, because I'm a good person, and I'm well-educated, and I'm a pastor, and all that stuff, it usually goes okay. But when my 11-year-old somehow doesn't understand now, for the third or fourth time in the matter of three or four minutes, it can go sideways in a heartbeat. Because in plain words, I want what I want, I want it when I want it, and I want it how I want it. And I made it very clear to my son Joel when he did come down, that when I say now, I want it to happen now, and I want you to come down and say, yes, Father, what would you like me to do for you? <sighs> I want what I want, and I'll yell out of frustration at my son, or my daughter, or my wife, to get and to force what I want. So we go back to the question. Who's in charge and what do I know about this person? In that scenario, I'm in charge. What do I know about that person? Romans 3.23 tells me what? Romans 3.23 tells me that I the person in charge have sinned and that I fall short of God's glorious standard. Galatians 5:19 that we've read a couple times tells me about that person that when I follow the desires of my heart 
which fall short of God's standard, the results are very clear. Hostility, quarreling, outbursts of anger, dissension, and the like. Who's in charge? And what do I believe about that person? Satan wants me to believe that I'm in charge. And he wants me to believe that I am good enough to do it my way. That I am good enough to accomplish what needs to happen. That's the biggest lie. That's the biggest lie that all of us who are impatient people are confronted with. That you are good enough to get what you want, how you want it, when you want it, and why you want it. Because you're good enough. That's what he wants us to believe about our lives. Who's in charge and what do you believe about that person? Galatians 5.16 in our passage, the very beginning. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Verse 17. And the Holy Spirit will give us the desires. The Holy Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what we desire. Verse 22. The Holy Spirit will produce, among other things, patience. Verse 23. If you live by the Spirit, which I say I do, then follow the Holy Spirit's lead. So what does that look like for an impatient person like me, whose son has just ignored him three times in the matter of three minutes around the word, come downstairs now, What does that look like? I told you what it looks like if I decide that I'm in charge. What does it look like if I decide that God is in charge? What does it look like if I decide that God is sovereign and he is in control of all situations at all times? Then what do I believe? And what do I believe about that person, God? Well, in the context of our passage today, he's loving. He's joy. He's peace. He's patience. He's kindness. And he's good. He's faithful. He's gentle. He's always in control. And he's patient. If God's in charge when my son disobeys me and tries my patience, then I believe that God wants to, and if I give him the opportunity, that he will handle that situation lovingly, peacefully, gently, with self-control and patience even long-suffering. That's a word we don't hear very often today, long-suffering. It is intimately connected to the definition of patience. Long-suffering. Long-suffering patience forgives 70 times 7. With no limit, no end. Is that what I want my son to experience in that moment? 
Or do I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, why I want it? What's better for Joel or Savannah or Sylvia or anybody else around me? Be it that slow person in the line in front of me who is trying to find like 65 cents instead of just giving the person a dollar? Be it that rude, obnoxious driver who flipped the bird at me because they cut me off and I put the horn on to let them know? What do I want that person and me to experience in that moment? Who's in charge and what do I believe about him? I am learning that patience can only come from a posture of submission of who I believe is in, to who I believe is in charge. Believing that God is always in charge, that he's a perfect God, that he is this God of these fruits that are listed in this passage that we're going and spending nine weeks on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like, he is perfect in every single one of them. And as I practice this posture of believing that God is in charge and that he's a good, good father, oh, we sing that song. I love that song. I probably should have had it on the list today, but it's not. As we practice that posture, I'm learning to set what I want, how I want it, when I want it, why I want it, aside for this God who I think is so good and what he might want or what he does want in that situation. And I'm learning that it's a daily posture. It's one that I have to consciously take on just the same as when I wake up every morning, I have to consciously open my eyes and put my feet on the ground and get up and walk. When I'm tired during the day, I need to sit down or lay down and rest. It's the same kind of posture that I need to be aware of. And I'm hoping that ultimately we'll get to that place where it's a posture like the way I breathe. I know that I need to breathe, but I know it so well that I don't actually need to think about it. Waiting because I believe that God is in control and that he is filling one of those fruits in whatever situation you're in. Friends, for what in your life today, for whom in your life today is God tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I need you to assume the posture of waiting? Is it a situation that's ongoing with a friend? Is it a circumstance at work? Is it towards your own spouse or your own child or your parent? Is it in your home? Is it in your car? Where is it? For me, it's with my family. It's with Savannah. It's with Joel. And it's not just about patience. It includes long-suffering. And I assure you, I am learning this right now that I will only go there and continually go there if I truly believe that God is in charge at all times in every circumstance. 
and that he is good and that he is loving and that he is patient and peaceful and kind and gentle, that he is always in control, not just of him, but of me, of, if I let him, of, of my circumstances. If I don't believe that, then I will take over. If I don't believe that, then I will buy into the lie that Satan wants me to believe that patience really does suck. Because honestly, up until this week of pouring into this, I really think I believed patience sucked. I really honestly believed it was Brussels sprouts. Sorry for those of you who love Brussels sprouts, not a good analogy. But, and if I believe that I'm in control, not God, and I don't, and I believe, then I'm going to take, not only get rid of, I'm going to throw the whole plate out. I'm going to fire the coach and blame the superstar. It's their fault, not mine. And I will yell at my own kids out of frustration. If not, well, it'll be outwardly. I was going to say if not outwardly, at least inwardly, but it's going to be both. I already know. And the reality is that I and those around me, in whatever circumstance I'm in, will miss out on the pleasure of tasting the fruit of the Spirit in that moment. So I always need to take it back to that basic question. And I think I'm going to need to do it in the area for me, for patience, for the rest of my life. Who do I believe is in charge? And what do I know to be true about that person? 